If I ask you to list some Bible characters who made complete turnarounds in their lives, who went from being very much against God and opposing His will to changing their lives totally to where they became devoted followers of God, who would you put on your list? Well, my guess is that a lot of us would have on our list, we, we probably, I think a vast majority of us probably put the Apostle Paul way up there, right? He, he'd probably be at the top of the list in our minds, most of us at least. You know, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a, he was a ringleader in the opposition, the persecution of the early church. And he changed completely and he became uh, probably the most devoted and effective preacher of the gospel that's ever lived. So Paul would be way up there. Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle. And then maybe a character, a Bible character that uh, is, is actually just a parable character, not a real person, but a character in a parable that Jesus taught, the prodigal son. Wouldn't we put the prodigal son there as a Bible character, or at least a described individual in the Bible, who made that complete turnaround in their lives? I want to suggest to you another one to add to that list. I think he certainly belongs on that list. I want to suggest to you King Manasseh. In the reading that Roger did for us just a few minutes ago, Manasseh is mentioned. Now, we just recently read about Manasseh in our daily Bible readings, if you're keeping up with that. Also in our gospel meeting, he was referenced in one of the sermons. Manasseh was the son of King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah, we sometimes refer to him as good King Hezekiah. He was really a great uh servant of God, and he, he initiated reforms during his uh, reign as king. Uh, he, he was really a good person. He was Manasseh's father. And that being the case, you would think that at least Manasseh had been exposed to what was right and living right and doing right. But the fact of the matter is that he turned to complete wickedness. Uh, he was a very corrupt and awful king, but at the end of his life, he made a big change. We want to talk about his story today, but what we especially want to do in our lessons is draw some parallels to ourselves in regards to the change that took place in the life of King Manasseh. Stop here just briefly to thank everybody for being here. I would, I would add a, a, a hearty amen to the words of Gordon uh, when he said, we had a great week here at College View during our gospel meeting. It was just, I think it was exceptional. It was really good. We had good attendance. We had really good preaching. And, and then Friday night had an excellent singing. It was just a great week for us uh, as uh, a congregation here at College View. And we thank all of you who enthusiastically attended and participated uh, during the gospel meeting week to make it a great week. Thank you for that. Thanks for being here this morning. Uh, to any and all who are visiting with us, thanks for uh coming and we want you to come back every time you have a chance to be here with us at College View. So let's talk about King Manasseh and let's observe this change that took place in his life. To start out with, we know that he was a terribly wicked man. He did all kinds of things that you almost unimaginable. Uh, he built altars for Baal. In fact, he even put altars to pagan gods in the temple in Jerusalem, in the temple built for Jehovah God, he constructed altars to Baal and other pagan uh, uh, idols were constructed there. Uh, he practiced soothsaying and witchcraft and sorcery. 
uh, he was just a bad guy. Uh, to me, one of the sort of pinnacles of his wickedness is that he was among those who sacrificed his infant children to pagan gods. I mean, he was just about as bad as you could possibly imagine. And I think in that text that Roger read for us earlier, uh, it sort of sums up how bad he was. Second Chronicles 33, 9 and 10, Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Notice here that he, he caused the people of God to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. We remember when God brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and sent them into the land of Canaan. It was a promised land. They'd been providenced that inheritance. But he also used them as his punitive agents against the very wicked pagan people who were living there at that time. Here, it says that Manasseh was causing the Israelites to do more evil than the people that they cast out. That's a pretty telling statement. Uh, notice, and they were warned. And he sent the prophets, and the Lord spoke to Manasseh's people, but they would not listen. And so, he was a really bad person. He was worse even than the pagans who lived in the land of Canaan before the Israelites did. And they wouldn't listen. They would not listen. So, my question to you is, what could change a man like this? Manasseh was that bad. What could change him? I, I, I don't know. I think my, my initial answer to that is probably nothing. You, know, you don't get to a person like that very often. Probably can't change a guy who is that bad. Well, what happened to him was that he was carried away into captivity by the Assyrians. The Assyrian Empire was a really brutal lot of people. Historical accounts say that when they would conquer a, a city, they would, they would actually pile heaps of human skulls outside the gates of the city. I mean, not just small piles, but huge mounds of human skulls of the people that they had beheaded uh, in, in the cities that they conquered. They, they were beating up on everybody, and they were very brutal and oppressive in the way they did it. They were a very, very bloody people, these Assyrians. Well, they came uh, to Judah in Second Chronicles 33, verse 11. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Uh, here, the New King James Version uses the word hooks. They took Manasseh with hooks. I think the King James Version there says they took him with thorns. But what I understand about this was something uh, like uh, a hook or a, something that would grasp either the nose or the lips. They would pierce through the nose or pierce through the lips and, and actually lead people around tugging on them in this fashion. And so it was extremely painful and, of course, ultimately humiliating. Here's the king, and he's being treated in this way. Uh, and so he, he, he pays the price. Do you notice, therefore, by the way, this is the verse that immediately follows our previous reading, because of Manasseh's wickedness, because he caused the people to be wicked, and because they wouldn't listen to the message of God when it was sent to them, the Lord brought upon them, the Assyrians, and they took Manasseh with hooks and carried him off to Babylon. And so uh, he paid a price for his wickedness. 
Now, my question to you is, this guy, as bad as he is, would God turn around and accept him? In fact, could God even accept him? After all that he had done, could or would God accept him back? I don't know about you, but my answer to that would probably be no way. There's no way that God wants anything to do with a character like that. This guy is as bad as they get. And and there's just no way that God would have any interest in having any kind of relationship with that guy. But what happened? Well, we read in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 12. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he received his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. So what happened here was that in the, in, in the depths of the depression and, and punishment that he was suffering, he humbled himself greatly before God of his fathers and prayed to him, and he received his entreaty. That's God, right? God had him back. God listened to his prayer. God received him back and restored him to his kingdom in Jerusalem. You want to talk about amazing. To me, that's amazing. This guy had just been awful. He had been as horrendous as you could almost possibly imagine. And yet God took him back. I just can't get over that. That's incredible to me. God took back wicked King Manasseh. And it wasn't the end of the story. The fact of the matter is that he was a changed man. Thereafter, he lived differently. We entitled our lesson, The Conversion of King Manasseh. And he ended up being a converted man. He did differently. Notice as that reading keeps going on there, Second Chronicles 33, verse 15. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars which he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. And so he took particular steps to get rid of all this idol worship that he had been responsible for. And then he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Uh, so he, he really changed. What I think is interesting here uh, and very important about him being a changed man. You know, when you get in a bad shape, and when, when you begin to suffer horrible consequences for mistakes that you've made... It's very easy in an emotional moment to sort of say, oh, wow, I've got to do better. I've got to serve God. I've got to believe God. I've got to do right. How often have we uh, maybe experienced that in our own lives or, or very often in the lives of others that we've tried to work with? In a moment of distress, they indicate that they want to be faithful to God. But as soon as that bad moment passes, they go right back to their former way of life. In this case, that did not happen. Uh, he, he came to a settled conviction that he wanted to be right with God and he really changed. And so I do think it's fair to call this the conversion of King Manasseh. All right. Okay. Interesting story. Interesting story. King Manasseh lived about 700 years before Jesus. And so... That's moving on toward 3,000 years ago. Not quite that much now, but on the order of 2,500 to 3,000 years ago, King Manasseh lived. a long time ago. But I want to suggest to you that there are a lot of parallels in his case to our own. And I believe that's where the lesson really has to 
to, to make its mark. It's, 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 we're just not talking about historical information about King Manasseh. I think we need to see how this parallels our situation as well. And so let's start out. Let's go back through this. Let's make the same points about us that we made about King Manasseh. To start out with, he was a terrible man, and we also are wretched sinners. I, I want to really emphasize this kind of terminology to you. We are wretched sinners. That's strong words for sure. And I would tell you, most people wouldn't want to use such terminology to describe us. You know, very much in our day and time, religion has become a, a feel-good thing. Make people feel good about themselves. Well, I'll tell you, we need to see ourselves as we really are uh, in our lost sinful condition. Uh, we are wretched sinners. Paul actually used that terminology in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Notice there's that expression. Oh, wretched man that I am. We need to see ourselves this way. Because if we don't see ourselves in that horrible, lost, wretched condition, then we aren't too motivated to seek to change and be different. Until we see ourselves in the shape that we're really in, we won't try to get in a different situation. You know well Isaiah 59 verse 2, which talks about the broken relationship, the alienation from God that's caused by sin. We can't even communicate with Him in prayer when we're in that lost condition. Isaiah 59 verse 2, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not hear. That's a bad condition to be in. We are in the kind of condition that Manasseh was in. You, I don't think we see ourselves that way. And that may be part of the problem. That may be why people don't see God so seriously, because they don't see themselves in the same kind of horrible shape that Manasseh was in. Romans 3, Romans 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you, that's me, all of us of a, uh, who are of accountable age uh, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's so easy to say, I'm not, I'm not such a bad person. I'm, I'm really not such a bad person. But the fact of the matter is, yes, you are. Yes, I am. We are wretched sinners. And we need to see ourselves that way. Okay. So again, that's the shape he was in. That's the shape that we are in. And we have to realize that that was so. Now, he was, a, he was carried away into captivity. Uh, by the Assyrians. Remember that sort of graphic picture, maybe a fish hook through his lips and being led, uh, tugged along in that fashion. You can't quite imagine the pain and the humiliation. But I want to tell you, we need to see that our sins bring terrible consequences upon us as well. In Psalm 107, verse 17, it says, Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. So, Transgression and iniquity brings affliction. Proverbs 13, verse 15, Good understanding giveth favor, but but the way of transgressors is hard. Could I ask you a question? Have you ever, in your whole life, have you ever known anyone whose life was made better because of sin? Now think about that for a minute. We have to acknowledge 
What Hebrews 11 verse 25 says when it speaks about the pleasure of sin for a season. We know that there's a reality to that. There, there is a, a, a temporary a, a pleasure of sin. doesn't last, but it, it's there. We acknowledge that. But I'm talking about in the long term, in the long run. Have you ever known anybody who, whose life was really enriched, fulfilled, satisfied by living in sin and rebellion against God? Have you ever known anybody whose life was made better? No, the fact of the matter is the way of the transgressors is hard. Even in this life, the way of the transgressors is hard. Certainly in eternity, the way of transgressors is going to be unimaginable. But even in this lifetime, the way of transgressors is hard. So, like King Manasseh, when we sin, we suffer the horrible consequences of sin now, and we will in eternity unless some change is made. And so the question is, Will God accept us? We said about Manasseh, it just seemed really incredible that God would accept him. But what we see in that story is is still the same truth. And that is that God's grace is really amazing. We've stressed the awfulness of sin and the importance of viewing ourselves as terrible sinners. I think we got to do that. But there's there's the potential danger that in stressing that, We might lead someone to say, well, I'm such a bad person. God could never receive me. And I've talked to people who felt that way. Now, so it's kind of a problem of harmonizing two concepts. We really are wretched sinners. But the fact of the matter is God can receive even the worst sinner because God is a gracious God. The grace of God is truly amazing. We talk about grace. When we talk about grace, we so often define it as the unmerited or undeserved favor of God. That's what grace is. And so God's willing to accept us just like he was willing to accept Manasseh. Not because of of our goodness or our wonderfulness. We're wretched sinners. But his grace is overwhelmingly amazing. And he's willing to receive us just like he did Manasseh. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 beginning. God commendeth his love toward us. Notice. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. God saved us. God uh, provided for our salvation. I'm not saying he saved us. We've got to react. We've got to accept that salvation. But God made salvation available to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for us because we're great and wonderful people. Now, the fact of the matter is we're wretched sinners. But God's grace sent his son Jesus while we were yet sinners, that we, in order that we might be saved. Titus chapter 3, beginning verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. It's not our own goodness. It's not works of righteousness which we have done. It's not because we've done so much good that God is willing to accept us. It's his mercy. According to his mercy, he saved us. And we need to always remember that. In a, verse, in a passage that gets misused along this line quite a bit, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Sometimes our religious friends want to abuse this verse by talking about 
it's not of works. There's nothing you can do. We quickly explain the kind of works that he has in mind here are the kind that you could boast about or brag about. Look at me. Look what I've done. I've earned my salvation. You can't earn your salvation. Salvation is going to be by grace through faith. By grace are you saved through faith. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not anything to do. And we talk about that a lot. There's, but we're totally dependent upon the grace of God. Uh, and, and without it, we could never be saved. There are no works that we could do and brag about them and claim that we had earned our salvation. Grace is so important. Uh, we, we need to emphasize that. We need to meditate upon that. In the case of wicked king Manasseh, it's just, it's just almost more than you can imagine that God was willing to accept this guy back. This guy had burned his infant children to the pagan god Molech. Can you, and, and he'd built a, he'd built an altar to those kind of pagan gods within and around the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, who could be worse than that? God accepted him. God accepted him. He accepts us because he is a gracious and merciful God. Well, as we said earlier, Manasseh lived a, a changed life. And we need to live in newness of life as well. Talk about Manasseh again for a minute. Would it have been enough for Manasseh to stop right here? In other words, he got carried away into captivity because of his wickedness. And, and he had he, he had a change of heart, and God and he, and he pleaded with God, and God heard his prayer, and God brought him back to Jerusalem. Could, could, okay, it's a done deal. It's a finished story. In fact, maybe Manasseh even goes back and starts practicing some of those things that he'd been doing previously. Would that have been enough? Now, would it have been enough for him to stop at this point? No. We all agree that he had to show a changed life, and he did. He was a changed man. And just like he was a changed man, we need to be changed people. And we need to live in newness of life. Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. We've got to get rid of that that has alienated us from God. We've got to get rid of the old man. We've got to get rid of the thoughts and the actions and the words that have alienated us from God. We've got to stop that. We've got to get rid of the things in our lives that influence us to do bad. It may even be that we have to get rid of some of our old friends who are dragging us down. We've got to get rid of everything that keeps us from being the people that God wants us to be. We need to walk in newness of life. Certainly, as we read that story of Manasseh, we understand that was expected of him. Why would we think that any less is expected of us? Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Notice Paul's expression. I am crucified with Christ. Christ liveth in me. Do you feel that way? Would you say that that's a fitting description of you. As you've come to serve God in this time. It needs to be so. Colossians chapter 3 beginning verse 1. 
If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You know our problem, I think, I would confess this. Set your affections on things above. You know when you know what our problem is and why we don't often do what we ought to do? is because our affections are here and now rather than being set on things which are above. Uh, and that's the key. We are too often involved with our affections rooted here in this life instead of with God and in our eternal home. We've got to walk in newness of life. King Manasseh. Oh, boy, bad, a bad guy, a terrible Bible character, but he changed. And the conversion of King Manasseh, if, if it doesn't do anything else, should convince us that if, he could, if God could accept him, he can accept us. If a man like that could change, we could change. So we started out saying, who are some great Bible characters who changed Saul of Tarsus? The prodigal son, you can probably think of several others. King Manasseh belongs on that list. He, I think he belongs way up on that list because he made that complete turnaround. But really, that complete turnaround is what we've got to do too. Uh, we can't just give it lip service. We can't just can't go through the motions. It's got to be a heartfelt and determined change to live the way God wants us to live. What's your situation this morning? Are you a child of God? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've not done that, we would encourage you to do that. We'd be glad to sit down with you and study about such things. If you have questions that need to be answered, let us know. We'd be glad to study with you. If, on the other hand, you have done that, you are already a Christian, but you have not continued faithfully serving Him. Come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.